Audio Chimera, a subversive podcast taking refuge in the sanctuary of allegory about the fragility of memory. Episode number 73, Bad Spectators. December 2023 marks my 46th year doing theater. During that time, I've experienced many things with audiences, either when I was among them or had them watching a show I was involved with. Here are some categories of audiences. Uno. The polite applause audience who didn't enjoy the play but feel they have to applaud anyway. Dos. The members of an audience who feel they have to give a performance a standing ovation to show they got their money's worth or who want to be on their feet when the show is over so they can exit as quickly as possible. Tres. The audience members who leave during the applause because they, even more than that last group I described, want to get to their cars before everyone else and get home. (laughs) And then there are the individual spectators who have left an indelible mark on my memory because their behavior was so egregious and not in keeping with being a polite audience member. That's the subject of this podcast episode. The people who did something so heinous at a performance that I still recall it. And perhaps I've even used the story as a negative example, explaining proper theater etiquette to my intro to theater students before they came to attend the shows. So here goes. If I start chronologically, I need to go back to my second directing stint at the York Little Theater studio. They had chosen Happy Birthday Wanda June, and I, as a longtime Vonnegut fan, volunteered to direct it. Unfortunately, it was not a very well-known show, and some of the better community theater actors didn't audition. I had some strong performers in some of the roles, including Brian, my colleague from Toys R Us, who had a B.A. in theater, but the woman I cast in the main role of the wife was pretty stiff. So it was a mixed bag, but I thought my staging was pretty effective, especially Brian playing the Nazi doctor who experimented on prisoners by injecting them with orange juice, standing on stage drinking from an orange Julius cup. (laughs) Now, on to the audience. Then, as now, a large majority of theatergoers are older people. Since they used to blue-wash their hair, they're often referred to as the blue hairs or the blue-haired audience. When I was a season ticket holder for the Berkeley Repertory Theater, I always chose Sunday matinees since I was always free on Sundays, and there I was in the middle of the retired. Two of them were in my Happy Birthday Wanda June audience, and they were also hearing and attention challenged. They talked a lot during Act One, and at the intermission, Steve Levine, the lead, asked me if I would talk to them. I said, no, you should. When they bother you, just tell them to be quiet. I thought that would have more of an impact. (laughs) During Act 2, while approaching the climax, they were still chatting along, and Steve, after pulling a sword from a wall, this was part of the action, turned to the two women, who were sitting in the front row no less, and pointing the sword directly at them, said, Shut up! I said, shut up! And he turned back to his fellow actors to continue the scene. And the one woman said to the other, Is he talking to us? (sighs)
Sometimes bad behavior suggests a larger attitudinal problem that needs to be addressed. Two undergraduate boys, who, attending the private university, thought they were better and more intellectual than they were, sat in the back row of the large auditorium where my production of Some Enchanted Evening, with songs by Rogers and Hammerstein, was being performed. I'm still very proud of that show, and it became the source material for a conference presentation a few years later. But they, sitting there in their drunkenness, complained aloud, There aren't any good-looking girls in this show! Just then, the tall, thin blonde in an evening gown appeared on stage and began singing, I enjoy being a girl. Now we're talking. Around her swirled two tuxedoed men who then danced with her, and then they worked their way to the big finish, a traditional ta-da pose for the men and the woman between them looking sweet and demure. The music stopped, and she pulled off her wig, revealing that it was Brian, different Brian than the previous story, whom we had seen earlier. He patted the men on their backs to thank them and exited. And they looked nervous and hastily left the stage, mirroring the drunken student's reaction who suddenly realized they had found a man in drag attractive. Oh, no! So here's one of these moments in the podcast narrative where I have two stories that naturally segue from that last item, and I can't decide which one works better next. So I'll start with the homophobic connection and then go back to the link about drunkenness. Actually, this first story isn't about a theater audience member, but someone watching a film in one of my classes. I had never seen Fellini's Satyricon and decided that showing it in class was the best way to take care of that. It really wasn't, but there we were in the middle of it. And there's the scene with the two men and the slave girl, and they're touching each other, and it looks like that we're about to watch a threesome. One of my students, a player on the baseball team, said, All right. Just then, the two men seemed to forget the woman entirely and started kissing each other. And the player crossed his legs and reacted verbally in horror, as if he had been struck with a line drive right in the... That was unexpected. And now, back to drunkenness. At Pitt Greensburg, I used to charge a dollar for students, faculty, and staff, with ID, to see the shows. We also sold cans of soda for a dollar at intermission to bolster our production budget. And then, at Duchess of Malfi, there was a group of boys, all drunk, sitting in the back row, house left. And suddenly I realize again that there's a connection between sitting in the back row and being a disengaged audience member. They talked a little during the whole show, but during the climax, when people started getting shot, Yes, it was set in a more contemporary era. One of them said, That's not what it's like to get shot. Like he knew. And if he had some expertise, why not audition and get on stage and show us instead of being a distraction? That behavior, along with my student Elliot Sheedy saying, How is my acting worth the same as a Coke? encouraged me to raise the student ID price to $5, and it actually eliminated the problem. Of course, as students began carrying cashless frequently, That became a problem. That's one of the reasons I use a square. Same theater, different show. 
Despite the announcement at the beginning about photography, also note that photography, video, and audio recording are all prohibited by copyright law, except for our archival recording. Please do not take flash or indeed any photographs during the show, including with your camera phone, which you should have turned off by now. A woman decided she needed to photograph her darling son in action during a show. She had a noisy camera, and you could hear the shutter clack for every photo. But that wasn't the worst of it. She took so many pictures in a row, it sounded like a muffled machine gun. And when I saw the photos online, well, if you clicked through them fast enough, it was like watching a movie. I had to ask her to stop during intermission. And finally, the main cautionary tale I always told my intro to theater students. I was at the Pittsburgh Public Theater for a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. They have a thrust stage with the audience on three sides of the stage area, and I usually chose house right or house left on the floor, so my students could easily find me to check in for attendance, and I could see them at the end. This time, I was in the house right balcony. There are two balcony levels, and I was in the first one. As the lights went to half and the welcoming and please turn off your cell phones message began, the woman to my right reached under her seat and put a plastic grocery bag on her lap. The announcement ended, the lights went to blackout, and she pulled from the bag a plastic food container, the kind you buy cookies in. Or in this case, biscotti. First, she opened it, noisily. Have you ever tried to get adjusted to hearing Shakespearean language when you have a plastic popping in your ear? And then she pulled out one of the biscotti and began eating it. Her friend, to her right, reached over, took one, and she began eating one. I thought sitting next to a woman nursing a baby the woman chance performance was noisy, but this sounded like a termite invasion. I gave her dirty looks, but it was dark, and she was watching the stage diagonally to her right, not to me on her left. And I guess she didn't hear my chiding sighs. And I know she knew it was wrong, because why else would she wait until the lights went down? She was clearly hiding it. But not for me, because I had to endure every bite and chew until the bag went back under the seat. <sighs> in the words of Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream, Oh, what fools these mortals be! Anything you want to hear more about from this podcast? I can elaborate. You can get in touch with me several ways. Join my Facebook group, Audio Chimera. Message me on WhatsApp. The number is available on the Facebook group. Leave me a voice message at 724-835-4074. Check out my website and blog at musifier.org. That's M-U-S-O-F-Y-R.org. And finally, check out my Linktree for everything at Linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Stephen Shrum. Oh yes, that's Stephen with a P-H-S-C-H-R-U-M. 
Intro and outro music composed by John Rust. Check out Sound of Rust, that's one word, on YouTube. This is Stephen Shrum. Thanks for listening to Audio Chimera. <laughs>